0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Wednesdays with Wheels. It's your favorite friend on Wednesdays, David Wheels Maxwell. Uh, Listen, before we get started, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Falenga's Gourmet and Artisan Cotton Candy. This takes cotton candy to a whole new level. We're not just talking cherry and blueberry and the normal flavors you'd get at a Red Wing team or an Amherst team. No, we're talking flavors like Fireball, Banana, even Pickle. That's right. I said it pickle and I tried it because I was like, there's no way they can make a cotton candy that tastes like a pickle. And they sure do. And it was pretty tasty. So give my friend Jennifer a call over at five, eight, five, four, one, five, one, eight, one, seven. Teller her wheels sent you. You're not going to regret it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is an, this is a, a podcast that I've wanted to do. Um, I've had my guest is Dr. Elizabeth Murray. Dr. Murray, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm great. Glad to be back. Listen, this
0: is a podcast that ever since the vaccines uh, rolled out, I've had you on the podcast before. Before there was a vaccine, uh-huh. and we, we were just answering questions, people's questions about COVID and 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 all of that because it there was a great unknown. Yeah. I think I think there's. Uh, would you agree with me that there's more known now? I mean, we're we're starting to get a better handle on this.
1: Definitely. Definitely. There's far more known, you know, we just saw in the past week, the CDC finally saying, everybody stop washing your groceries. We know about, you know, it's not going to be as much of a problem on surfaces, that this is more truly of a respiratory illness. Uh, we we have good data for schools. We know now that we have some variants and we have some data on those, not as much data as we would like, but it's getting there. So it's it's evolving. And you know, I always say to people, remember, this is the first time in history where we've had a front row seat to a new disease rolling out, and then even better, a new vaccine or set of vaccines rolling out in front of our eyes in real time with social media. So there's a lot to take in, and it does still feel like a lot is changing, but hands down, we know far more now than we did when we last talked.
0: So so I think that the reason when I reached out to you to have you on the podcast again is because We've we tackled that, right? We know more about the the illness or the virus as it is, but now we need to tackle there's so much misinformation out there about the vaccines. Definitely. So many, so many people that I run into because I just received my second dose about three weeks ago. So I'm fully vaccinated.
1: There you go. You're
0: pretty well darn protected. Pretty well darn protected and but i've run into so many people that i've been out with that have said you know well, the big question that everybody has and i want you to address this is i had somebody come up to me and said well you didn't have any major side effects from the second shot and i said well i had a, a fever and and uh you know and some body aches and some chills and a headache but nothing i mean dr murray it was amazing i got the shot on a uh i got the shot on a friday mm-hmm. Uh, or no, on a Saturday, by Monday morning, I went to bed with a little bit of fever on Sunday. Mm-hmm. By Monday morning, I woke up and it was like nothing had ever happened. Right. Like, it,
1: yeah. it literally yeah. was. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So the big thing I keep hearing from people is they think that they're actually injecting you with the live virus. Can you talk to us a little bit that that's not true?
1: That's not, that's not true. So what we have right now is two different types of, there's three vaccines, but two different categories of vaccines that have been um, under emergency use authorization in the United States. So there's the Johnson and Johnson, which we know is kind of temporarily on hold. And that's a little bit more like a traditional vaccine. The right. name is called a virus vector vaccine. So they're taking a virus and kind of dismantling it and, and helping it get to the right places in your body. But then the newer thing or Something that's been in development for a long time, but is now working very well, is the mRNA vaccines. And so it doesn't actually contain any part of the virus, live or otherwise, other than just like a little spike protein. So, you know, it, the regular vaccines I kind of describe as it's as if your body's being shown a picture. So, you know, you can't talk to a picture, or really interact with a picture, but if you see the, the person in that picture, in real life, then you're going to recognize them. And that's kind of how the vaccines work What the MRNA vaccines are doing is they're teaching your body to recognize like half a face or an eyeball, like one very specific part of uh, the virus. And luckily so far with the variants, the vaccine still seems to be working pretty well. It's not as perfect as the original strains, but it's pretty darn good here. So in, in any vaccine situation, you're not being injected with live virus, but it's not even close in in these vaccines.
0: Yeah, and then so it's interesting to me because there's so much, you know, there's so much hesitancy. I think it's I think it's getting less and less, right? But would you,
1: it's would, changing, I think, a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's it's ever evolving, I would say. Yes. Uh is with the Johnson and Johnson putting that on a pause, do you think that's going to give people more confidence or less confidence in these vaccines?
1: I think it's gonna kind of split out like everything else about this disease is some people are gonna get confident because of it and some people are not, and some people are gonna use it to spread the rhetoric, and some people are gonna say, Hey, wait a minute. There was only six cases of a problem and it got them to stop and take pause. This means they're watching the vaccine really closely. You know, if I could kind of give you a little historical perspective, anytime a vaccine or medication for that matter, but especially any time a vaccine comes out, they're understandably watched very, very closely, even though, you know, many, many thousands of people are tested before it's allowed into the public use. But once it's in the public use, that brings it up to sometimes millions of people who get to use it. So back in the 90s, There was a vaccine that was developed to treat a disease called rotavirus, which a lot of people don't even know about anymore because that vaccine has gone on to be so successful. But when it was, it's a terrible, terrible diarrheal illness that kids get and sometimes, and kids in third world countries die from it and kids in the United States get hospitalized from it. And it was just terrible, but they came out with a vaccine and they noticed that there was 12 cases of this unusual side effects that was happening. And so, Based on those 12 cases, they said, stop, we're not gonna, we're gonna pause this vaccine. We need to take a look at what's going on. And they went through a process and they figured out what was going on. And now we have a wonderful rotavirus vaccine, which in about a year almost eradicated, certainly in our community, the germ. And now we have, you know, new new trainees and, and young pediatricians who've never cared for a patient with rotavirus. So back, you know, back in the day, again, those 12 cases. Very very small, and it caused us to react. And so what we're seeing now is very similar. Again, the the vaccine monitoring system has worked. There was six cases of something very unusual. It's not just run of the mill clots. You know, clots, blood clots happen for a variety of different reasons. But what was sure. so strange here is was this combination of these really rare but severe blood clots plus low platelet count. So the platelets are the part of our blood that helps our blood clot. So the fact that people's platelets were really low and they were having these really severe clots is very, very unusual. And one of the major reasons for the pause was what they realized very quickly is that the normal treatment we should be using for people with these types of clots was actually the opposite of what the people experiencing this needed. So they needed to get the word out to emergency medicine doctors like me and other physicians and medical care providers as fast as possible to say, hold on. If you're evaluating a patient that has this combination of symptoms, we've got to have you treat them in a way totally different than what you're used to doing. So it was it was a really important need to get the word out to medical providers about what was going on. Plus, let's take a pause and get some more data about the cases we know about and see and see what happens over the next few weeks. So Friday, there's going to be another meeting to look at the last week and a half s data to see if there's additional cases that they found.
0: Yeah, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, all of those cases were all except one were in women, right? I think all of of them.
1: All of the six cases were in women.
0: Oh, okay. I thought there was. I thought they found one that was in a. There's a a new
1: case that I believe they're evaluating, but I'm not sure where that's going to fall out. Okay. Okay. Kind of in Facebook groups and stuff like that, but I'm not. That's not the original six cases were all females.
0: We're all females.
1: Yep, and all this information is available online. I'll post a link later so everybody can see the, you know, the review board who looks at all of this information. Their meetings are public. Anybody can click on so Friday when they meet, you can just google it and you can watch the meeting live. It's open to everybody. So they're very transparent about their data. So I can I can um post a link to that information later on.
0: That's great. Just a moment of of levity here because our good friend uh Todd Youngman is in the room. And he just says his vaccine made him more handsome in 36 hours. So
1: I I, I believe it a hundred percent.
0: I was hoping, I was hoping mine might make me a little taller, but.
1: Uh, <laughs> I know. <I'm> <laughs> that. I would have liked that too. Yeah. I knew after my second shot, didn't have very many symptoms at all. And I kind of thought, oh, I hope it's working. But I knew, I knew it was. We know that everybody's a little bit different and their bodies are going to react a little bit differently. And that's, and that's okay.
0: So let's talk about that then, because that is another question that, A lot of my friends who are a little hesitant about getting the vaccine ask is why do some people get sick with the the shots and others don't?
1: And quick, I'm just gonna kind of be a little strict about our terminology here. And it's it's remember, it's not that you're getting sick. You feel sick, like you have something as if you're sick, but remember you're not infected with anything. That's not what's happening, is your body's kicking in all of its immune defenses, basically, and, and everything's getting revved up and your body's responding to to the potential threat that is the spike protein. It's your body's being taught to say, hey, wait a minute, foreign invader here, let's rev up and do what we need to do. And so that's why you're getting the fevers and the aches. Your body is responding appropriately. It's just unfortunate that makes it, you feel lousy. So as far as why do some people have a bigger response than others, we don't really know. There's a lot of theories out there. You know, my husband is an ICU doctor and has taken care of probably hundreds of COVID patients at this point, and he felt much worse after his second shot compared to me where I haven't ne- cared for nearly as many, and I didn't feel that bad at all. Who knows? We're kind of hearing those stories um, throughout some information that looking at younger people, are having a little bit more of a robust immune response because they're younger and that's kind of how their bodies work, but we don't really know yet. But the good news is we don't have any evidence to show that those who are having less side effects or symptoms after the vaccine, we don't have any evidence to show that the vaccine isn't working for them.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I was, I was almost glad that I got some of the, that I knew my body was working. It just made made me feel a little (coughs) safer. Uh, but I had a, I just had a friend who got his first uh, vaccine shot, and he had the coronavirus, and with his first shot, he he got a temperature, and and that is there some? Do they think there's some correlation with people that have had the coronavirus? And then they get the shot. Is do they have more of an immunal response because they've already got the antibodies?
1: Yeah, it's still it's kind of hard to know because there are so many factors at work. It kind of depends on when they had their original illness, how sick they became with their original illness, um, other things about their health. So it certainly is a possibility. I think some of the interesting stuff they're looking at now is for the long haulers, the COVID long haulers. Some seem to be getting better after they get their vaccine, as almost if it's just kind of resetting everything. So. We've learned more than we knew before, but boy, there is still a lot. There's a still lot to, to learn. learn. Yeah. And COVID shows mm-hmm. us time and time again that it is not predictable.
0: Right. So. It's, 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 it is it's it's the scary. Of all the things that I've seen throughout my life when it comes to diseases, mm-hmm. this seems to be like one of the scariest because you literally, like you could be next to somebody in the store mm-hmm. and they could be asymptomatic and, you, you know, you don't know it and they they could unintentionally pass it on to you being asymptomatic.
1: Right. The good news is, is the more people are vaccinated, the less likely that type of stuff is to happen. Though we still, you know, the numbers today, I think we're up again and locally to over 200 cases, I think today. But interestingly enough, as we would expect, if there's going to be cases, the cases are in younger people now because they're the ones who are not uh, vaccinated yet or less likely to be vaccinated just because of the way this vaccine was rolled out.
0: But the hospitalizations, if I'm correct, are down,
1: right? Uh, they're starting to come up a little bit, but they're nowhere near where what they were. They were. So as far as like number of cases versus number of hospitalized, it's not matching up like it did with prior surges. The The people seem to be not getting as sick. Or if they're hospitalized, there's not as many people in the ICU. There definitely are some, but um, not not as many. Or gotcha. oh, they're, they're discharged a lot faster. It's just overall... The local numbers seem to be a little bit milder, but again, it is still definitely happening.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about the M. What it, it's the MR, uh What is the the, the mRNA. Fiber, yeah mRNA? Yeah. I want to talk about that because uh, one another thing that I hear people say is that it changes the the structure of your. It changes. I, I've even heard people say it changes your DNA. Sure. Sure. A lot of
1: people are calling it, you know, and I guess my res- quick response is if that was the case, think of all the diseases we could cure. Wouldn't that be amazing if we right. could, we could do that? We could cure Down syndrome. We could cure so many things. We could cure cancers. All sorts of genetic diseases we could cure with the same type of technology, and unfortunately, that's just not the case. There are some diseases that we think the mRNA technology is going to be very helpful for, some cancers, um, multiple sclerosis is another one that they're thinking this technology might be beneficial. But, but remember, mRNA is, is kind of like a blueprint, it doesn't do anything else other than give you an instruction. And so, you know, if you're building a house and you have blueprints for a house, you're not going to end up with a submarine because the blueprints are for a house. Right. So it's the same thing. This is messenger RNA. So its little job is to go in and say, guys, this is what we need to build. And then it then it goes away. It's I mean, the reason you you hear about these vaccines that need to be kept really, really cold and out of the sunlight. And as soon as they come out of the freezer, you got to use them fast. And they're very finicky vaccines. And the reason is, is mRNA is doesn't like to hang around it goes and it does its job and then it's done and so right. you have to have these very careful transport of these vaccines because it's just it's a it's a finicky compound as far as it dissolves and goes away and breaks apart very 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 easily it it does not stick around it is not gonna um come out in the sneeze none of those types of things happen right. i've heard that one too that you can breathe it on somebody else not
0: yeah another. it's it's a and it's it's also also become so political right mm-hmm. uh uh like it depends on what side you're on whether whether you know i had i was talking to a friend of mine and uh, i said i was having you on the podcast and they said to me well is she a liberal doctor and i'm like what does, <laughs> what does that mean what does that like why does that matter right. science should be what leads us here
1: Right. Exactly. I'm pro-patient. I'm pro-health, pro pro-survival. Pro you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but you're not entitled to your own making up of your own facts, right? They are what they are. Now, sure, people can, you know, relate data, report data in ways that maybe sounds more um, hyperbolic than other times, make it sound more dramatic. Uh, but, you know, we have some great scientists here locally. Remember, Rochester's always been a home of a lot of vaccine creation, and so we're lucky to have that going uh, on here as well. But, you know, throughout the nation, throughout the world, there's a lot of scientists who have been looking at these types of germs for a long time and were lucky enough to be able to benefit from their expertise moving forward. And again, I just, you know, it is, it is so disheartening to me to see some of the rhetoric, the people going after Dr. Mendoza right now is just, it's cruel and it's ridiculous and it's nonsensical. Um, and, it just doesn't, it doesn't help. It's not going to get us out of this. right? We know from other diseases what needs to happen and nobody likes it. I'm as sick of it as everybody else. I don't want to be having to wear a mask. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to be seeing sick patients. I don't want to have kids admitted with this post COVID inflammatory disease that we're seeing in kids. Well, I want it, I want it to stop too, but pretending it's not, a disease that we need to care about is not the way to make it go away. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. It just will make it rise up.
0: I want, I want to get to some of the questions here in the chat. Uh, Can you see them? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to
1: pull up. uh, Answer Paula's questions. I'm going to
0: pull up Paula's first. And Paula asked in a year when we have to get the booster. uh, I believe she's asking, will we have to get the, the, the one that we originally got? And uh, so can you answer that?
1: Uh, It's a great question. And actually on Thursday nights, I do a uh, Instagram live every Thursday with Dr. Christina Johns. She's a Peds emergency medicine doctor friend of mine. And then sometimes we have um, a a man named Rob Swanda, who is a Cornell uh, MRNA biologist, uh, who is just delightful and wonderful. I encourage everybody to find his videos on um, YouTube and Instagram and stuff. He does these two minute videos explaining all this stuff because this is his wheelhouse. This is what he studies mRNA sure. technology. And so we asked him that very same question and the kind of the answer is <clears throat> we don't know right now but at a theoretical level the the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine work in the same way so at a theoretical level it doesn't we doubt that it'll matter. You can't cross streams and go from a Johnson and Johnson to another one that might not necessarily Um, give you the same thing. But if you kind of think about the flu shots that we get every year, now they are reformulated to go against the strains that we believe are going to be causing the flu. But there's different brands, there's different kind of versions of them. And it doesn't matter from year to year, which flu shot you get. So my guess my guess is, when it comes to the class of vaccine, it probably will not matter. But jury's still out on that.
0: Now, can you, uh, do you see the one? It's like, I think it's the third comment
1: down. Uh, I'll pull it up on the screen here. Um, what part you, of the vaccine bypasses your immune system and tricks it to pass by our defense mechanism? Well, it doesn't. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what they're asking because nothing nothing like that happens. I mean, it, it goes, you know, we, we inject these into the muscle of our arms because in the muscle is a good location for it to be met by immune cells to then have that programming done to give them the warning to what, for what to watch out for in the future if you encounter that germ again. So it's, it's, your body doesn't identify it per se as something to destroy as in a foreign germ. It acknowledges it as something it's interested in, it's looking at. Um, and then can get can get the information you know again, the the blueprints to how to destroy the enemy
0: right. And then another question i that i we had on the thread that I posted when I had said you were coming on the the podcast was uh, somebody had asked they get sick with the flu shot every year. yeah, uh, so they're they're hesitant to get the the this vaccine because they get so sick with the flu shot. and then they they asked a question that. I don't know is easily answered, but we know because the question was, but if I get it, is it going? I I didn't necessarily understand it because it said, if I get it, is it going to protect one person that I'm around?
1: Right. Is it guaranteed to protect others? Right. So yeah, there's a lot going on in that question. If I remember correctly, I think the person said they had their last flu shot about 20 years ago. So my quick first thought on that is vaccines now are completely different than they were 20 years ago. They're much um, much more efficient, meaning, you know, there's less going on in the vaccine to get the same response. And so, and I also would kind of wonder exactly what, what that response was, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard um, to, to know. The COVID vaccines are totally designed differently than the flu vaccine. So I think, you know, the first step is always have a conversation with your physician who knows your medical record and maybe has some insight into exactly what happened with that flu vaccine and then, and then make the decision Um, because that's kind of hard to know. But we do know now that there's lots of evidence to show that the vaccine, the COVID vaccine will help decrease transmission as well. Remember when this was first studied, and this, you know, a lot of the science stuff is confusing. And, you know, we kind of feel like, why can't we just make this easier? But- Anytime we're asking a scientific question, it's just that we have to ask one scientific question. We wanna know a lot of different answers, but to have a good study, you can really only answer one question. So when these vaccines were first investigated, the pressing issue was how do we save lives? We wanna have less people hospitalized and less people dying. So the goal of the study or the, the question they were answering is, does this vaccine decrease death and does it decrease severe illness and hospitalization? They weren't asking the question of, does it decrease transmission to other people once you're vaccinated? So that's why we didn't know. It wasn't that it didn't happen or that we didn't care. It's a right. priority at the time was let's decrease deaths. So we have lots and lots of information that the vaccines do a beautiful job. Not, not 100% perfect because nothing we ever do is 100% perfect, but really, really great. You know, 95, 96% efficacy in decreasing hospitalizations, decreasing deaths. Now, since we have so many people vaccinated and the studies were continuing, they were able to get a lot of what we call real-world data showing that the transmission to other people, if you are exposed, you don't seem to be able to transmit to other people once you've been fully vaccinated. So That is good news. (laughs) And that is certainly good news. So I think with regards to a specific person, have a conversation with your physician because they know your healthcare best and they'll they'll know the specifics. But these vaccines are are different than the flu vaccines, and the information is coming out is really, really great about the help in preventing transmission to others.
0: For sure. And then the other question that I I I seem to get a lot is people are people are worried because Uh they say that this vaccine was developed too fast right mm-hmm. so and and because it was granted emergency authorization uh you know that's another reason why people are are yep. hesitant right yep. but you talk about this technology that is in in these vaccines has actually been studied for mm-hmm. quite a while
1: correct correct so yeah there's two points to it and i think this is a great question because you're right understandably people would be hesitant if they were if they were told or they heard that it was rushed through that Of course, that sounds scary and terrible, but we did have a lot of scientists and information looking at this kind of overall family of germs back when original SARS and MERS and things like that hit. But, you know, those diseases kind of fizzled out on their own for a variety of other reasons. And so the funding dried up. And so all of that kind of research was put on hold. What happened now is there was an exorbitant amount of funding for the first time ever, you know, billions of dollars was put into development of a vaccine. So what normally happens is a, you know, researcher has a theory, they get a grant, they test it out. Then another researcher will say, all right, let me see if in my lab, I can duplicate the same results. So they have to go and they get grant funding, and then they duplicate the results, hopefully. Or maybe they say, oh, no, that didn't work. Let's back to the, the starting line and, and figure it out. So you have all this sequential studying going on instead of what is it in parallel, meaning all we had right now is we had multiple labs, multiple scientists all over the world working at the same time to try to figure things out. So instead of the stepwise procedure, all the steps were happening at the same time. Excuse me. But they were the same kind of steps. They weren't jumping over things. It's just everybody's collective mind was working at the same time instead of just having one small cohort, then a small group and another small group happen. Oh, excuse me, I'm talking too much. Um so so it, we also know that when we bring products to market there's phases of studies that have to by law happen. Sure. So all of those same phases happened here. It's just again, the approval committees meet at certain times of the year. They, you know, need time to go through the data. All of these things kind of happen in these long arduous processes that they were able to um, speed up a little bit by saying the emergency meeting needs to happen now. We're not going to wait to our quarterly meeting scheduled in three months. We need this information done now. So no phases were skipped. All the phases still happened. It's just so much money was put into this. All the steps were able to happen really fast. Right. Happened, yeah. They all happened at the same time instead of one after another. Right. So, yeah,
0: and I, and I thought, and I think that's important because people, yeah, that's what, you know, that's what I hear a lot. So people should, should take comfort in the fact that this isn't this isn't just been rolled out just to get it out there. This is this has been studied and and uh, now your expertise is you're a pediatrician. So we uh, we're now seeing I believe the uh, the government has said anybody of 16 years or older right. can get the vaccine. So another question I hear from people all the time is. Well, I'm worried about my son or daughter getting the vaccine because we don't know what it, it what it's going to do to the the opportunity for them to have children when they get older. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's another question that seems to come up quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and so you know, there's there's quickly there's just no reason to think it would do anything like that because again, we're, we're giving people's body the knowledge to identify this special little protein on the COVID, the coronavirus germ. And, and that's it. And you know, I think where these theories started is because there are a couple of the building blocks of this spike protein can be found in, I believe it's placental proteins as well. And so somebody said, oh, well, it's going to cause miscarriages. But none of that ever happened. And if you look at, you know, people or women, especially who have had um, coronavirus, many have gone on to be pregnant. Many have gone on to carry pregnancies and and not have uh, problems. Now, granted, anytime you are critically ill with any illness that could cause a miscarriage. And so there have been some of those cases along the way, but it just, you know, if, if this concerned about this spike protein and your body having a response to it was happening then your body would be responded for the people who had covid and we, and we just didn't see that so you know the instructions here from the vaccine are again that very very specific instruction and then once it delivers its instructions it dissolves and goes away so we know we know enough about reproduction and and how how that whole system works and there's just not there's not an overlap there's not there's, I think there's four ingredients in these vaccines. There's not, there's not a lot to them. You know, there's sugar and there's fat um, and to help kind of stabilize the vaccine. And then, you know, the mRNA is in there as well. So they're very simplistic, beautifully simplistic vaccines. Um, So I think, you know, I, I hear the concerns. I can, I think we've figured out kind of how the rumors got started and where that came from. And we can explain why those are things we don't need to be concerned of. And as time is going on, you know, more and more pregnant people have been vaccinated and have done just fine. And those are populations that are being studied. We couldn't study them right away because we never study anything new in pregnant people right from the beginning, just like we don't study it in children right from the beginning. We we take other otherwise healthy adults that don't have other things going on in their body that could perhaps skew the results one way or another.
0: But I do seem to remember because I am a fan of your Instagram show uh, on Thursday nights. I do seem to remember you talking on the Instagram show that even though they didn't uh, right away, they didn't study it in pregnant women because they don't do that. That didn't mean that somebody didn't get pregnant while they they were (laughs) in the middle of the study. Right. So
1: that definitely happened.
0: So in some sense, they can. There is some probably some limited data. Right. as to what might've happened.
1: Right. And, and our data of what goes on in a pregnant woman's body with COVID is expanding tremendously because we needed the time, right? I mean, a pregnancy lasts for, really lasts for 10 months. It's 40 weeks, not nine months. And, you know, the disease hasn't been around for that long. So you can't get data because it just nothing's been around long enough to go through a whole a whole pregnancy. We're just kind of coming out of the points where full pregnancies have happened. But you're exactly right. There are people in the study original studies who did get pregnant. And that information is tracked. And now we have lots and lots and lots of women who chose to, under the advice of their their doctors or in discussion with their own physicians, to get vaccinated. And we have information from that. Locally here in Rochester, we have a team actually looking at breast milk and seeing can the antibodies be transferred in the breast milk to your baby, including antibodies from the vaccine. So that information is coming soon. We know that those moms who had covid (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. Near the time of delivery, actually, were able to transmit antibodies to their baby in the breast milk, which is great, protective for the baby.
0: Absolutely. Uh, now I want to talk about uh, because so <coughs> it seems to be ever changing the the rules that we get from the CDC. Yeah, and, and I think that's the other thing that frustrates people. Right? Is sure. that it's it's forever. It's a it's a fluid situation. So. The C. You were telling me before we went on the air that the CDC has now come out and said um, things like you don't need to wipe down all your groceries uh, yeah. and stuff like that. So let's just talk a little bit, if you can, and if you have some other examples um, that you can share. But where the the CDC is ever changing? Uh,
1: right. And I, and I think that's tricky because you're right. It is it is super frustrating because we just want an answer and we just want to be done. But again, this is new to us, right? So the answers are gonna evolve as we get more data. So when we first didn't exactly know what this germ was gonna do, other than it seemed to do things differently than any other germs before, we didn't know if it could survive for long periods of time on surfaces. And so some people felt that you should wipe down your grocery bags and, and, you know, we were Lysol wipes were flying off the shelf and everything had to be sterilized. Well, where we are now, as we know, we really probably don't need to be doing that. We just need to do normal cleaning of things. Now, certainly if somebody with COVID sneezes right on something, that's, that's a different situation, but we're just talking about general kind of routine, everyday stuff. We don't necessarily need to be doing these, Super deep cleans and all and all of those things. The schools don't need to be doing these overnight deep cleans and spraying everything. That is not as helpful as the masking and the hand washing and some distancing when appropriate.
0: Yeah. So the, oh. as a as a pediatrician, mm-hmm. I, I'm interested to know um because now they've said My family brought me water. <laughs> there you go. A little water. Take a sip. um And but this the now they're they're taking the distance in schools right it was six feet and now they're saying that we can go to three feet for for the schools so what is your opinion on that and talk to me a little bit about how you're easing parents fears uh when they hear that the distance is is changing and they might be saying well why is it changing now because for over a year now we've been told we have to stay six feet apart
1: Well, so now that we've had enough kids in school in different parts of the country, in different types of schools, different ages, you know, in different communities with different rates of disease, you were able to say that kids in school are actually doing a really good job of following the masking and following the hand washing and, you know, keeping kind of their own space a little bit. Um, The World Health Organization was always kind of saying that maybe three feet was going to be fine, but we wanted to have some, we, not me, the the global we, right? We wanted to have some data um, to, to show that. And it seems like time and time again, as long as the masking and the hand-washing and some amount of distancing is happening and people are being smart, you know, When kids are eating lunch, maybe they're a little bit farther apart, but, you know, if they're masked and they're doing work, then they can be closer together, especially as we get into warmer weather, it can have windows open, have better ventilation. Those things are going to be helpful. So, you know, I think for the most part, we've been able to show that schools have been doing a great job, but there's a lot of kind of caveats to it, right? If a community has a really high rate of infection, for the most part, schools are still not the place where the disease is spreading, but it can happen. And the greater the spread is in a community, it's going to trickle over into our schools. The trick here now, of course, again, as I was saying, COVID, the only thing consistent is that it's not consistent. Now we have these variants coming up. And we know that these variants don't necessarily make people more sick, but they're easier to transmit. And so it's a tough spot that that the public health people are in right now because as these variants start to spread and come into communities, gosh, you know, all of our data is likely before the variants arrived or only had some of the variants. As we get more variants that are more transmissible, do we have to, to back off on that a little bit? The jury's still out on that, but I think the key points, What the one thing we know, the key points are that masking and hand-washing and, and making smart choices about your activities is beneficial and has definitely helped and kept schools for the most part relatively safe.
0: Here's a great question and I'm going to put it up on the screen, but I I don't think it'll show the whole question because it it cuts some of it off. So I'm going to, I'm going to summarize, but I'm going to put it up on the screen. Uh, Yesterday, my mom and I were at uh, Rochester regional health out in Henrietta Mm -hmm. uh, because I had to go see the doctor for uh, nothing COVID related, but uh, I had to go see the doctor. And when we walked in, we were wearing our cloth masks, hmm. uh, and uh, they, the lady, the receptionist, had us said, "I have to give you uh, a different mask," and gave us two of their masks because they weren't they weren't allowing people to use the cloth mask. So, do you know what has changed with that? And and are the cloth masks
1: not as good? I um. My husband is a physician in that system, so I just texted him to say, "Do you have? Do you know why this is? Because I, I don't know. I mean, the surgical masks are a little bit more <laughs> consistent, and you know they know it's a new mask that has been cared for versus the mask you're wearing in that maybe is not being washed or or maybe not fitting appropriately. I I I, I do not know what that what that is about, other than you know surgical those surgical masks are consistently. Um, a little bit better they you know yeah. they're, what they're designed for they can mold to your face they they just are consistently a little bit better but specifically why they're doing that I don't know we'll see if he uh texts me back during our show if not yeah, well, that, and I'll that, post it. I'll let you know that's a great question I had not heard that actually so I don't know
0: I think it was I think it was something that they had just started because even the receptionist said well, that's what we're doing this week. Who knows what we'll be doing
1: <laughs> And next week. And, that's, and that is frustrating because, yeah, the rules are changing. And can you travel and do you need to be tested and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, I hear the frustration there. Yeah.
0: So I, I also want to talk about because the CDC has said now that you if, if you're fully vaccinated and, uh, and if I'm wrong on this, please, uh, again, because this is where the confusion comes in. But I believe the CDC said, if you're fully vaccinated, you can actually be around people that aren't, aren't vaccinated. Right. As as long as they're not, as long as you or them are not showing symptoms.
1: Right. So it's still, we're in that risk mitigation phase, meaning we know that nothing we do is going to be hundred percent risk free if we're going to interact with the world. Right. So there's always going to be some amount of risk, but we can be smart and calculate our risks. And so if you are vaccinated and you want to see somebody who is not vaccinated the risk to you is probably relatively low you know you have to make that decision of you know what other health conditions do you have what other health conditions does the other person have you know if they have no symptoms and you've been vaccinated for a while the chance of you having asymptomatic asymptomatic covid is probably pretty low and so therefore it is safe it's not a great idea, though, to gather a bunch of unvaccinated people and a bunch of vaccinated people together. It's not, you know, if 10 people are vaccinated and 10 people are unvaccinated, it's not a a one to one thing. It's, you know, the grandparents can go visit the grandkids who all live in one household together. Don't bring all the cousins over to one party and gather them just because the grandparents are vaccinated because then you're bringing people from a bunch of households together. So it's really meant to be kind of a, a minimal you're still minimizing the amount of contact between, for the most part, the issue is between the unvaccinated people to help keep them safe. But yes, mm-hmm. if you're vaccinated, you want to go see your friend, you want to go out to dinner. Um, you want to engage with some unvaccinated people that, especially if they all live in one household. Yes. That is, that's something that can be done now.
0: Here, Here's another great question uh, because and I, I, and as a pediatrician, I think you're, you're well suited to answer this. uh, uh I hear from a lot of parents, or see on my news feed from a lot of parents, how come the elementary school kids can go back uh, full time, but the the middle school and high school kids they're still keeping them, you know, to a couple of days a week. Right. Uh, can you talk about the, the thinking behind that? I mean, I think I know why, but you know, I, I think you would have a better understanding of that. And can so can you shed some light on? as yeah. to what the thing is on that?
1: Yep. So a couple parts to that answer. One is that once you're about 12 or 13, you act much more like an adult as far as how COVID impacts you and how you spread COVID and things like that. The younger children are still consistently having the milder cases and the less, the less spread. So the older kids are, are acting more like adults with regards to disease spread. Plus the older kids are more likely to be going out and doing things and being with their friends and, and and mixing and engaging with people from other communities. The littler kids aren't doing that as much. Um, Plus then the next part of that is, is the older kids. Understandably. Yes, there is, there are huge mental health issues in in either direction. Some kids are dreading going back to school. Some kids are dreading the fact that they haven't been in person school, you know, so it's all they're happening, but the reality is it's, it's easier to have older kids do remote learning than it is for younger kids to do remote learning. So again, that risk benefit analysis that we have to do, you have to look at all those different factors. And so I think, again, I don't work for the health department, but I think that those are the things that they're looking at um, to make their, to make their decisions and to gauge it because it, like I said, we're in the risk mitigation phase, nothing we do is going to be perfect, but if we can get as many kids back safely, that's the goal.
0: Now, when we talk about herd immunity, Cause this is another one that seems yeah. to, to uh, confuse people a lot. And even I was confused earlier this week, I was watching uh, one of the local, uh, not local, but one of the national news networks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a doctor on there and he was saying something about, and maybe I had it wrong. So I, if, if, you know, if it's not right, I could have heard it wrong, but he was saying something about, we could go into herd immunity, but then, leave herd immunity at some point? And is that because would that be because when the boosters when the year comes up and people have to get the booster, is there a is there a is there a fear maybe that we could lose herd immunity because there are people waiting to get the booster or or just saying because they had such trouble the first time, I'm not getting the booster.
1: You know, I don't know. I had not heard that, and so I'm not exactly sure, but I think that that's what your thought is is could definitely be part of it. Um, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with how these variants go. I mean, remember, anytime this disease is passed from one person to another, it's an opportunity for a variant. So far, we can handle the variants, but we don't know how they're going to continue to progress so it, I'm wondering that could be another part of that person's thinking that if we get more and more variants then our disease, I'm sorry, our vaccine um, success and efficacy might, might start to drop. And, and therefore, plus, as, you know, as time goes on, and we have more people in the population who've never experienced it, you know, kids are born and grow. Uh, I'm wondering if, if he was considering that and just maybe perhaps making an argument for why it would be important to continue to vaccinate the whole population. I'm not exactly sure I have not heard that but I'll see what I can find on, on that
0: Yeah topic. it was just it was just interesting to me and I I came in halfway through so I I didn't hear everything I just heard he said him say that we we could hit herd immunity but then in the you know maybe winter time mm. uh, leave her and I just didn't understand what that why that would be um but uh, again just ever changing and I think people have so many different thoughts on on different things, right? Uh, talk to me a little bit about because we know all these different variants that are out there—the mm-hmm. South African variant, uh, the UK variant. You, we know we're going to have to get <clears throat> boosters probably. after after twelve months. It, it it appears to be that way. I believe the the CEO of Pfizer came out and said uh, that that was probably going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, with these different is COVID is, is COVID here to stay in some form or fashion so. for the rest of our lifetime?
1: I think so. I think so. I don't think it's going to necessarily be something that overwhelms us. And, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be wearing masks forever. There might be times or there might be, you know, if you're ill or their doctor's offices might be more aggressive <laughs> about having people wearing masks when they're there. Um, but no, I think, you know, remember the coronavirus germs have always been with us. This is just right. like the crazy uncle of the family. That's making right. it. Um, you know, and, and so I think it, I think it will be around. I don't think it's going to continue to wreak havoc at the extent that it has in this past year, but a lot of that I think is up to us.
0: Right. Uh, it's interesting, and this is just me editorializing for just a second, but it's interesting because the people that I, that I run into that say they don't want to get the vaccine, and you know, it is a personal choice, right? And you, everybody has to do what makes them comfortable. Now we We all hope that everybody gets the vaccine, but it is a, a personal choice. But it's always the people that say, I'm not going to get the vaccine that say, I don't want to wear the mask. Just talk about that for a minute, because <laughs> that is such an oxymoron statement, right? right? In the sense that you don't want to wear the mask, but you don't want to do what it takes to not at some point have to wear the mask.
1: Right. And I think also that's kind of the theme is that you they don't want to do what it takes to make this end. But, and I think some of it comes from people who are just burnt out and frustrated. And, you know, a lot of the things at the very beginning of this disease from a Uh, nationwide level were were not handled right. It would have been much better if we could have completely shut down the country for six weeks and really paid people to be home, paid businesses to stay open. I'm sorry, paid businesses to be closed. You know, things could have definitely been handled very differently and we could have come out of this like some of the other countries in the world that are not wearing masks right now, but we can't, we can't go back. And our frustration about what did or did not happen in the past really can't make us change our actions now. Yeah, it sucks. We don't want to be doing this anymore. I hear that a hundred percent. You should see me when I go to work. I got masks and goggles and hats and I don't want to be doing any of that stuff anymore either. But if we all stop now, the variants are going to win. And, you know, we as humans need to win, not the variants. We don't want more germs.
0: Right. It's just so frustrating to me. Uh, I'm just, I'm reading through some of these comments. Some of them I'm not going to to put up. On, <laughs> some of them I'm not going to put up on the screen. I, I do want you to talk about Dr. Murray uh, in the in the little bit of time we've got left, just as a health professional, because you were talking about people, you know, taking it out on Dr. Mendoza, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, and even you when you got your first shot. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, there there was some twitter backlash because someone mm-hmm. no took the photo that you posted on twitter and doctored it to make it look like you didn't like the cap was still on the needle
1: yeah well what had happened is the children's hospital so when i went to have my vaccine it was actually i wish i knew the nurse's name i don't know her name she actually i came around the corner and she recognized my voice from being on tv and being on the radio and she told me her daughter was a picky nurse and so she was excited she's like this is so cool that I'm giving you the vaccine and she was just lovely and it was really really nice but she knew 100% from the, as I walked around the corner that the whole thing was going to be documented cuz she knows i am involved with the media and she knew the whole thing and so it just i wish i wish we could have recorded that part of our interaction so people could have seen like no way she's faking anything she knew when she was giving me that vaccine that the everybody was going to be watching cuz those pictures were going to get posted by the children's hospital and so one of the other, they had people walking around to offer to take pictures for you. And so the person who said they take the pictures, she used my phone and she just stood there and just click, 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 click. And just for the whole, you know, three seconds of the of the vaccination process. So right. there's pictures of the shot going in and there's pictures of the shot going out. And so I sent them all to the hospital and a bunch of them were posted. And so some of the ones that were posted was after the shot was done, you know, the the needle had been removed and it's a retractable needle. And so it looks like there was no needle um, in that one picture, the end of all of the pictures, cause I had already received the vaccine. And so some people decided to take that and say, yes, made this huge campaign. There was um, thousands of posts on the children's hospital Facebook page about, about all of this nonsense. And we um, so, uh, got better uh, things to do with our time,
0: people. Yes, <laughs> my question just is, as a, as a as a physician, how frustrating is because you're on you're you're in you're in the the hospital mm-hmm. and you're 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 sort of on the on the front lines with some of this stuff so how frustrating is it as a physician who who's out there doing some of the great work to to have something like that happen and to see the pushback from the people that don't want to get the vaccine
1: well and, and again i think that a lot of people who are now currently getting vaccinated have very legitimate questions and very legitimate concerns, and and those need to be addressed. I think it's a very small, vocal minority of people that truly don't want the vaccine, and most of those decisions are coming from misinformation, um, and that and that is super frustrating to me. You know, I mentioned my husband is a, an ICU doctor. And he does—he's a lung doctor and an ICU doctor. I mean, so there was periods of time where he was gone, or when he came home, he would go right into our bedroom. I was in the guest bedroom, you know, and we didn't—we didn't see him. And um, he had to. This was covered by the media. He had to admit one of his colleagues to the ICU. Uh, lots of our, lots and lots and lots of my colleagues have had those same experiences where they're admitting their own colleagues, especially early on, who became sick. Um, uh, mm-hmm. seeing so many people just d- d- die and have catastrophic, catastrophic diseases and be hospitalized for so many months, and even those who lived still need so much physical therapy and, and rehabilitation and just still are so devastated by the disease, even though, yes, they made it through they're alive, but there's so much that has happened to them. Um, and to think that we're making it up or that we want glamour, grandiose stuff, it just it blows my mind. And I, you know, it's nice that people have the free time to to do that, but it's not helping anybody. It's not where we need to spend our energy. And I sure. think there's a lot of noise and it's just, it's noise that we try to ignore. I know, I know there's lots of really great people doing really great work from our housekeepers up to our surgeons, to everybody in the hospital. You know, it's a huge yeah. effort and lots and lots and lots of people's lives will never be the same. Um, because of loss of loved ones, because of what they've seen at work, um, because of a whole variety of different things, because of this pandemic. And anything we do to get out of it, the faster the better, I
0: think. Sure. It's interesting because I had a friend of mine whose uh, who's, uh, <laughs> daughter is a, is a nurse and was working with COVID patients, and she said to her mother, I hope you never have to see mm-hmm. some of the things that I've had to uh, witness throughout this last year. So, uh, it's going, it's good. What, what do you think the mental toll is going to be on the, the, um, community, the, the doctors and the nurses that have been working on this so long, there's going to, there, there's going to be, so there's got to be a toll that it's taken on, 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 on them as well.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and there definitely is, you know, we still, are are taking care of adults in the pediatric emergency department to help out our adult colleagues because the adult EDs are still overwhelmed. And, and again, and you hit the nail on the head with people have seen things that they never anticipated. And that just, it went on for so long. Um, you know, doctors have never done a good job of taking care of themselves. You know, we know that mental health conditions happen to everybody and anybody. And, you know, there's still this great stigma in so many careers, um, when it comes to depression or anxiety and that, you know, what these people have experienced is, is very real trauma. And, yeah. and I, you know, the, the exact toll, I don't, I don't think we know, but uh, there is many, many, many people who are in the healthcare profession. And again, it, it's, I'm including the transporters, the housekeepers, the respiratory therapist. I mean, everybody involved in, in the clinical situation, um, will be changed.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> And just to see the the amount of nurses and doctors that were retired that came back because they saw a need mm-hmm. to help out is amazing to me. There is one question that I got here, and I'm going to try to paraphrase it. I'm going to throw it up on the screen, and but I'm going to try and paraphrase it. It's my from my buddy Nick mm-hmm. Nick Nick is saying, "Why can't they give us a better like people like Doctor Fauci?" Mm-hmm uh give us a better understanding of what what it takes to get back to normal and what what because a lot of times when he's asked questions it doesn't seem like he wants to go you know he doesn't want to put a time frame on something yeah. and i think you and i've talked about this throughout this podcast that people just want to know right so i think we but why is there that hesitancy to say to people <clears throat> If you all get your shots, (laughs) by July, we'll be able to resume somewhat of a normal existence.
1: Well, I think part of it is, you know, look at the backlash he faces anytime something changes. You know, people will say, you don't know what you're talking about. Six months ago, you said this, and now you're telling us it's something else. And so I think after time, after, you know, things evolving, because again, this is a new disease and things are changing, you know, you want to give people the right information, but you don't want people to keep on saying you're just changing things or you don't know what you're doing. It's just the, the, the germ changes. The, the experience has changed the data, the information we have is changing. And so, um, you know, when you have a lot of moving variables, you can say this is where we think we need to go, but COVID has taught us, well, we got to change our, we got to change our path. We got to do things differently. And when you have so many moving parts of, uh, People or states reducing mask requirements, uh, vaccine rollouts, missing huge parts of the population. The world vaccine rollout has been far from um, great, you know we care a lot about what happens in our own country, but we need to care about what happens in the world because these, any of these diseases as, you know, a, a airplane ride away, you know, when people check into the emergency department, they still get screened for questions about Ebola <laughs> because we right. still, we still have to worry about those diseases coming in. You know, um, right. the, there was a patient not that long ago who had malaria, you know, it these diseases still move across the world. And so, um, there's so many moving parts. I could I could imagine that it, he just we don't know exactly what it'll, it'll take, but it's it involves vaccination. It involves um, some doing things differently until we get that disease prevalence way, way, way down.
0: Yeah, listen. I just the, I just have to address something, and I know I shouldn't do it because it's just feeding the negativity. But I just have to do this. There's a gentleman that has been posting in the in the chat here, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he's been posting things that he doesn't, you know, you can tell he, he he's on the other side of things. And he said he just took a tour through the hospital uh, <coughs> last year, and, and it wasn't overwhelmed. L- listen, I don't know. First of all, last year, I don't know how you got into the hospital to take a tour because <laughs> – yeah, they weren't they weren't letting people in. Yeah, but uh, th- that's just simply wrong. I'm sorry, and if you want to say things like that to fit your narrative, you know we can't stop you. But that's what that's why I did this podcast was because of comments like that that <clears throat> that are feeding the narrative that this isn't something we need to worry about, yeah. and it it just frustrates me. Yeah. And 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 you and I both know we talked before the podcast about not not feeding the trolls. Right. And 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 all that. But sometimes I just can't help myself because it's 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 so harmful to what we're all trying to do.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I will say and I have always I of always spoke pretty vocally about I really disagreed with the messaging on how bed capacity has been explained. And that was incredibly confusing to the public that we needed to go with the license bed capacity and then talk about how much over we are. But what had happened is the governor put these mandates in saying you have to have these surge capacities. So that then became your hospital's new capacity, even though it was three times the ICU patients you normally have to care for. So, you know, that hospital on Long Pond Road went from having one or two ICU teams to having four. So you had four teams and some of those patients were being cared for in a step-down unit. Some of those patients were being cared for in the post-op surgical area, Um, you know, but the numbers still said, oh, we're at 98% capacity, but that 98% capacity was actually, 250% 250% capacity of what they can care for during normal times. Right. So the the messaging on that I think was always bad and confusing. You know, this has been reported before. You know, at one point half of our pediatric ICU was full of adults. We had, you know, a whole unit in the regular children's hospital full of adults. We continue to have <clears throat> a, you know a handful of adults being cared for in the children's hospital because of the need for space. Yeah. So it it's, it is what it is. It, it I,
0: yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to feed into him, but I saw that comment and I, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just, it, it just infuriates me. My last question <laughs> to you before we end this, and I can't believe an hour has gone by. Yeah. It, it goes so fast and I enjoy having you on. So I'm sure we'll do it again in, in a, a little while because things are forever changing and it's great to have your expertise. Uh, but my last question to you would be, as a physician mm-hmm. uh, and uh, what do you think what do you think it's going if you if you could just talk to all of us that are in the chat mm-hmm. and if people had some some reservations about getting the vaccine uh what what would you what is the best way to start educating people because i think that's the part that is now where we're suffering the most mm-hmm. the lack of education right so, how do we step up our education to help people understand that what they're putting in their body is not harmful?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, fear is a powerful motivation <clears throat> of action, right? I think you've heard me say that in our last podcast. I probably said that. I say that a lot. Fear is a powerful motivation of action. And once you hear a scary story, it's really hard to overcome. And so, that's why we always need to be getting our healthcare information from the healthcare providers that know us best. Facebook groups are not a great place to guarantee the transmission of factual information. It's a great place to guarantee some scary information is gonna be shared. And sometimes it's done in a way that sounds pretty darn convincing. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you don't, I, I, nobody's gonna ask me how to fix a broken sink or toilet. I'm not a plumber. You don't want me doing that, right? right. <laughs> I, can, right. I can share my opinions and I watch This Old House once and I can give you some opinions <laughs> on it. You don't want my advice in that. Um, You know, so talk to the people that know your health best, your your medical care best, the healthcare providers that you have the relationship with. They will answer your questions. You know, if you already have that trusting relationship, or you know, if it's your kid's pediatrician, you've chosen them to care for your child. You should be able to have a good conversation with them about all of the questions that you have. So turn turn to the people that are your medical providers, turn to the the websites and the the um, non non rhetoric based um, <clears throat> information sources people can say the CDC is um, giving wrong information. You know, I, I can't I can't help people through that if that's what they choose to believe. But I think just go go to the medical providers that you know best, uh, that know your health best, and they will give you the best information that they have available to them to help you make your decisions.
0: Right, because while social media can be a great tool right? Because it allows us to do things like this mm-hmm. and like the show that you do on Thursdays. By the way, give a plug. What's the name of that show on on Thursdays on Instagram and how can people find it?
1: So we broadcast it from um, Dr. Christina John's Instagram channel. So it's Dear Dr. Christina and it's at nine o'clock on Thursday nights, nine o'clock Eastern time. Um, but I think if you look at my Instagram channel, it'll come up that I'm live as well.
0: Yeah, We don't really have name. we
1: used to call it. Yeah. I'd worry about that. Cause when we started it like almost two years ago, it was to talk about kind of news stories about medicine and how, you know, one week wine is healthy and the next week wine's not healthy. And why do the studies keep changing? And right. we're both pediatric emergency medicine doctors. So it was going to be kind of like parenting and kids health stuff and then COVID hit and it rapidly became all things COVID all the time.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So check that out because they get a lot of good information on there. Uh, very informational and, uh, uh, you usually have three, three uh, you, yourself and doctor, the other doctor, and then a friend of yours who's a, is he a researcher you said?
1: Yeah, he's a, he's at Cornell. He's a, a PhD candidate and his area of research is messenger RNA. So he knows his stuff and that's why he's been so helpful to discuss with the vaccines coming out and understanding that whole process.
0: Absolutely. So check that show out because it's great. Um, and Dr Murray, and we've come to the end of another great podcast. Thank you so much and Now that we're both vaccinated we should uh we should
1: get together for dinner. That would be awesome. We yeah. should get together for dinner and yeah, too, so
0: and uh and uh it would be great to see you yeah. and ladies and gentlemen, this has been another edition of Wednesdays with Wheels. I hope you learned some great stuff I hope you uh and for the people that were uh the one gentleman that was in here being pretty negative, you know. I hope you enjoyed your hour of being negative. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever makes you happy, I guess. Uh, but uh, thank you for another great episode of Wednesdays with Wheels. We will be back next week with another great guest, Dr. Murray. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Bye. And we are.